We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores, the games every day. Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius. Today we're going to do a mailbag episode. You guys uh, really came through with a bunch of questions, and I apologize in advance for us not being able to get to all of them. We're going to start out actually with a question that's just for me, and then I'll kick the next one over to Darius. Uh, at YoFolio asks, why do you think the Lakers land Kawhi? And I'm really glad that he asked this, because this is something that I've been wanting to explain for a while now. Now, I hope you guys all understand that I can only reveal things to a certain degree. I also want to say that this is not something that I feel nearly as confident about as I did with LeBron coming to the Lakers. So this is the situation. I heard from a a pretty good source back in December that um, that the Lakers felt really good about their chances of getting Kawhi Leonard. And the problem with that is that there hasn't been anything else that's come from like a source that I that I really trust that I know that this person is in the know. And so it died out in December and how it worked out last year with LeBron is I kept hearing new things from different people from different, you know, unrelated people that are saying similar things that made me think, huh, this may really be a thing that hasn't been the case with Kawhi. It's just been that one thing, but it was a really, it was, it was good. It was like one of my better uh, bits of information that I've received, but just from one source. And nothing has continued since then. So I, the reason that I'm not nearly as confident is what if something changed? What if that inf- bit of information was wrong? What if, 
he's really fallen in love with Toronto? What if he's really been impressed by how the Clippers did this year? What if he's turned off by what happened with the Lakers? There are all of these factors where even if that was true at one point in time, doesn't necessarily make it still true. And the fact that I have not heard other things since then does not encourage me in that respect. That being said, the reason that I hold out some hope on that and that that I I think it's going to happen, and again, this is not with a great degree of confidence, but what I think will happen is from what we've seen of Kawhi, he once he decides something, he's done. He had a great organization in San Antonio when he decided that he was done with them, he was done, and there was nothing that was going to change his mind about that. So my hope and why I phrase this the way that I do when people respond to me on Twitter or, or in other conversations is that that is indicative of how Kawhi goes about his business. So if that was true in Jan- in December when I heard that, then he's less likely to change his mind than other people. So that's that. That's where I'm coming from. That is my thought process to the degree to which I can reveal to you the ins and outs of what that means, but that's the basic gist of it. So, uh, so Darius, our, our guy at MTAM013 asks, what would be the first and or biggest move slash hire trade that would give you a glimmer of confidence in Palinka in the direction of the Lakers? Um, signing Kawhi Leonard? <laughs> Anything else? Um, picking Zion Williamson? <laughs> uh, right so like i'm talking like grand slam moves here right sure like i think that if you're talking about incremental small cat management things or s- stuff of that nature uh this front office has already done a fair amount of that that has basically been overshadowed by some of the like Oh, look, Rajon Rondo is here and Lance Uh Stevenson, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so I feel like the Lakers are viewed in the way that they are because some of the things on the margins that they've actually done well have been outshined by sort of bigger things on the margins that have basically been more of a failure or a net negative, right? Mm -hmm. So... The Lakers go into this offseason with a lottery pick. We'll see where that lottery pick falls. And cap space for a max free agent. There's really only a few directions that you can go with that. I don't judge lottery picks off of what happens on draft night. A, a lot of that stuff is just dictated by what happens in front of you and then how things play out over seasons to come. So I'm not really worried about that. The Zion thing is just more like, hey, it'd be nice to get Zion Williamson. It's more just like, oh, okay, if Rob Palinka can close a high-level free agent, it doesn't necessarily have to be Kawhi, but mm-hmm. I, I mean, even like closing on someone like Clay Thompson would give me a certain amount of confidence. Sure. But one of those bigger free agent names, I'd feel like, okay, it seems like this guy can do some things in the room as well. And it's not just dependent on, you know, a Magic Johnson solo meeting with a top tier guy to be the closer. Because I think that that was the role that we had in mind for Magic. Yes. And, and if the Lakers can still close on guys like that, I don't think it diminishes Magic in any way, but I think it elevates the profile of someone like Rob Palenka. 
So to answer the question, you know, which specifies a, a glimmer of confidence is there are two paths for me to get there. One is similar to yours, right? There are, I think, six guys, KD, Kyrie, Clay, Kemba, uh, Kawhi, and Jimmy Butler, maybe Chris Middleton, you could throw him in there, that it, signing any of those guys would give me that that glimmer of confidence for sure. That would be a big win for the Lakers, even if it's not one of the your KD Kawhi level guys, and it's an all star rather than a superstar. I still think that that is a that's, that's a significant win. It yes. is, man. It it's is. Important. It's a step in the right direction, and uh, that would give me a glimmer of hope. And that's a pretty obvious one. I think most of us would feel that way. We have different opinions on different guys, but all in all, if they sign an all star caliber player, we're going to be happy. The second version of that is if they don't. Them making small moves to set themselves up, whether it's either signing smart free agents, I think that's going to be harder to do this summer because so many teams have cap space. It's going to be more difficult to find that guy that doesn't have a good offer elsewhere. And if they wanted to do that, last summer was the summer to do that. Uh, or, you know, if they want to punt cap space one more time, which is not something I necessarily want to do, but if you want to try and get Anthony Davis the following summer, can you get somebody who's trying to shed salary to become a player on this free agent market? It's kind of like what they did with Roy Hibbert or with Jeremy Lin, right? Where they get a first round pick back in exchange for absorbing an expiring salary. Just make smart moves that don't involve panicking. What I'm concerned about is like, oh crap, we didn't get one of these big guys. We have to make a splash. And now a couple of young guys are traded for less than an Anthony Davis type of guy. So just make those smart little moves, um, bringing in a really good medical staff, training staff, being able to get the analytics department aligned with the coaching staff and all that. Just get the organization more aligned. We're not really going to know that this summer. That's something that once they get more operational and getting up into the season, there will be more indic indications of that. But that would be the thing that would uh, give me that glimmer of confidence. So... Just one more thing too is I think um, I think you and I both have a favorite for based off of the names of the head coach. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. right. And, and so I think that that's an obvious move. And this is going to sound this is going to sound funny, but hire the guy I like. <laughs> for once yes yes make that move that i like that would be nice it feels like it's been a while since i was like yes do that thing that thing that you did that was what yes. i wanted you to do right it's, like it, oh yeah. you brought me ice cream yeah, i'm very you. confident in you now so yes exactly and like ice cream everyone knows lebron right like like yeah. do something that involves some degree of uh you know of thought behind it and and nice solid move. So yeah, I'm with you on that. I, you know, we both have the preference for Ty Lu. I'm not, you know, I released a video about Monty Williams's offense and so much of it is, is dated. And that was one of the really real things that I wanted to put forth in that, but I do have concerns and I know you do too about what he does. I also, I would be in a place where, I, you know, I would give Monty Williams a chance. I would not be torches and pitchforks, even though it would be yet another thing where it's like, I wanted ice cream but you gave me you know onions instead so i would um, say in general like and this has nothing to do with the question that was asked but you know me i'm just gonna talk anyway um <laughs> i think i'm at one of my higher levels of overall skepticism with the mm -hmm. team mm -hmm. right now and i think some of the stuff that we discussed in answering this this question would be ways to decrease that level of skepticism incrementally 
Yeah. Right? And so they don't have to be those home run moves. I think those home run moves would 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 be large steps or like you you just bigger leaps away from skepticism for me. But smart, measured moves that where you're bringing in qualified people to do the job that's in front of them. Yeah. Those are things that will just make it easier and easier, I think, for fans especially. Um, and just the overall perception of the direction of the organization to start for the optics of that to, to start to get better. And I think the way that the Lakers are positioned right now, they're just being cast in a very poor light day after day after day. And he, along with Jeannie Buss and the rest of the brain trust within the organization, one of their bigger tasks is, is sort of repairing that public image. And the way that they do that is just by retooling what's happening on, well, on the inside. And we all have our opinions about, you know, Kurt Rambis or Linda Rambis or whoever else, right? But hiring, just like you said, training staff, medical staff, a good coach, and making incremental smart decisions is sort of where I'm at with Polinka. And I'm willing to give him a chance to do that. But just like you said with, with Monty Williams, we're going to give them the benefit of the doubt. But I think that that's much shallower now based oh, off of very the position much so. of the organization. And the frustration and skepticism that you're talking about came incrementally. So fortunately, there are two different ways to knock down that skepticism. One is, you know, if we sign Kawhi, you know, all's well that ends well type thing, right? Where everyone's going to be feeling pretty good. And Linda Rambis, Kurt Rambis, who gives a crap, right? The other way is to knock it down incrementally, just like it was built. And they they could go a long way in doing that by making those solid moves. But I think that the, the start of that with Polinka and Rambis and all of that, it's, we're not off to a great start in that respect. So uh, next question comes from Daniel Ravid at Daniel Ravid one, assuming we miss out on or choose not to pursue the big name summer free agents. Who are some of the middle and role player free agents you think that the Lakers should be targeting in the off season? I want you to go first. There are a couple of different routes on this. There are the like vet minimum deal type of guys where I'd love like an Ed Davis or bringing JaVale back. I think having some degree of continuity would be nice. Um, I don't know how much you could get Taj Gibson for. I believe he has a player option for this last season. Um, and he, to be fair, he probably wouldn't opt out if he was getting, you know, room exception or less type of money. Uh, you got Dwayne Dedman. There are more bigs, I think, on the market than uh, than guards. So, you know, in terms of like a backup point guard type, like I'd love like a Darren Collison, even even to challenge Lonzo for the for the starting gig. If you know, I think Lonzo would beat him out, but um, just have a guard who can handle ball screens and defend. I would really like the Lakers to establish a defensive identity. I think that's something that is important and would be building on a strength of this team. It's also something that. When you watch these playoffs, it becomes very apparent teams that can exert their will on opponents with size and length and a lot of the attributes that the Lakers possess on their roster that unfortunately you could it was so hard to get all of those guys healthy at the same time. But if you get, you know, 
uh, a Kawhi Leonard or even a Jimmy Butler to go along with those guys, uh, you know, LeBron or uh, excuse me, Lonzo and Brandon. And when LeBron locks in, that'd be great. But if you don't, as this question points to, uh, I would still like them to pursue guys outside of that, um, that, that fit that same bill. One guy that's come to mind, who's not a, a role player, um, but is not, maybe not a max player at this point, And he would have to opt out as well. But uh, Al Horford is a guy that I think if if you could sign him on like a two year deal with maybe a team option for a third year, uh, I think that he he really would fit well with LeBron. I think you would have an absolutely monstrous defensive team with a guy like Horford around that where you could switch everything, get a lot of the benefits of a small ball unit while still having a legitimate big. I really like, really like Thaddeus Young. I think Young's one of the more underrated players in the NBA. Uh, another pacer, Boyan Bogdanovich, is a guy that I, I would like. All of that's in context of can you get Anthony Davis in free agency? Are they worth punting a year? I, I would probably, I don't know, man. I, I feel like I've been burned too many times. And you could talk to me, you could talk me totally out of this that no, you wait the year. That's the wiser thing to do. I would prefer to team build at this point. And those are some of the names, both on the on the low end, on the vet minimum type end and room exception end, as as well as the guys who are going to be making, you know, 18, 20 million a year. How about you, my man? I'm not down to punt a year at all. Yeah. Actually. Okay. Yeah. I just think you've got LeBron locked up for two more seasons and then he has an option, an option mm-hmm. that he controls. Right. right. And so we talk about a four year deal that LeBron signed. LeBron signed a three year deal. And I've been thinking yeah. about this more and more in the last six weeks or so is that the Lakers basically have two years to make good on signing LeBron James. And I think that you do that. A, by chasing a star free agent this summer and hopefully you hit. But if you don't hit, I think that you look for good players who you know fit next to LeBron and who offer skill sets that mesh with LeBron and you offer them contracts that run through the same length as LeBron's contract. If I can add an additional bit of context to this too, one of the problems with waiting is Brandon Ingram as well. Yes. He's, his fourth year runs out after this next season, and he'll have a, I think, a $21 million cap hold. I may, may not have that exact number right, but he will have a cap hold that's high enough to be prohibitive toward pursuing a max player. So you you have to move him or you'd have to move some other salary, which means one of the other young guys in order to get there. So in for all intents and purposes, this is the offseason to make your moves. And if you don't get one of those max guys, what you're saying here is probably right. You got to you know go down the list and still build your team. I haven't done the numbers on this, and I'm not sure how amenable Brandon Ing- Ing- Ingram would be to this. And I don't even know how it would affect their cap. But I'd be thinking long and hard if I was the Lakers about can I get Brandon Ingram on a reasonable extension? Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially with his current with, with his current yeah. circumstances, and I don't want to try to take advantage. I don't yeah, want to take yeah, advantage of that's... it from that perspective. <laughs> I'm, but I'm looking at it more also from the player perspective as well, right? Like Steph Curry was damaged goods when he was dealing with all of his ankle sprains, and he was he was not the number two pick in the draft, but he was the number seven pick. Mm-hmm. in in his draft and he had shown real promise and was a real player and he was injured a lot and him and golden state found a reasonable number for them right it mm-hmm. wasn't his max it was i want but i want to say if he was eligible for a 25 percent max 
I think at that time, based off of what the overall cap was, it was probably in that like 18% range, Mm -hmm. right? And I'd be very interested in opening, opening a dialogue with Brandon Ingram about finding whether or not there's mutual interest there. And if there is starting to talk about that. Now, I don't know. I don't know what that would look like. It's just something I'm throwing out there now, considering knowing what his cap hold is going to be. And there being a certain amount of uncertainty from both sides. And is there something that makes sense for both sides? And maybe there's not. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying starting to have that conversation now to me would be prudent, especially with the way that they dodged those conversations with Julius Randle mm-hmm. and the direction that that ended up going in terms of sort of souring the relationship between the player and the organization ultimately. I don't know if things would go down that same road with Brandon Ingram, and I don't want to have like this doomsday scenario out there. It's just something that I've been thinking about a little bit in the past, I don't know, two or three weeks when thinking about Ingram and what the future looks like for him to get back to the question though, about players and the point I was making earlier about contract length and LeBron James, and then finding players that match up with him, both of the Morris twins, Markeith mm-hmm. and Marcus, their mm-hmm. free agents this summer, Nikolo, defenders. Yeah. Nikolo Miritich is a free agent this summer. Those guys are going to make some money. I don't know about the Morris twins necessarily. I know that Miritich will probably have a good market, but you know, Garrett Temple, he's mm, he, good one. He's good one. an interesting player. Patrick Beverly, he's yeah. an interesting player, right? Like Beverly is probably is maybe destined to go back to the Clippers, but if they make a splash in free agency, who knows which direction they go in and what their cap situation looks like. Corey Joseph is another backup point guard who who I like, who is a free Rich Paul client, by the way. Rich Paul guy. Right. And so look, there are there's a lot of guys, both, you know, minimum level guys, all the way up to sort of just like you said, that that fifteen to twenty million dollar range. I'm not worried about spending uh, about the Lakers spending money this summer and sort of opting out of the 2020 free agent market because in the end I think that contracts like those ones that are going to be in that you know anywhere from 12 to 18 million dollars a year those are also tradable contracts right right especially when you spend wisely and on good players so that's one of the reasons why I'm not about punting another season and and hoarding cap space i think you try to build the best possible team that you can for this upcoming season and then the season after that with the understanding that this is the roster that the team is going to have and this is the roster that we think can compete and then if you can upgrade that by swapping out pieces like combining an 18 million dollar contract and hey Lonzo Ball or Brandon Ingram or mm-hmm. Kyle Kuzma or Josh Hart, guys who are on like such low dollar contracts now that they're ultimately not tradable based off of how valuable they currently are to your infrastructure. 
that if you could then combine that for a $20 million player on another team in order to upgrade your roster, maybe that's something that you do, right? Like, I think that the Lakers have to think long-term and not just the summer of 2020. I agree. And I don't think that while we do want to build a championship team around LeBron, I don't think it's that or bust. I think that you you need to build something that's long-term sustainable. And because like you said, we've got two more years with LeBron guaranteed and maybe a third, but only two more guaranteed. And that's not enough for me, especially at his age, to be willing to be like, we've got to pull out all the stops to be able to do this. I want to build something that's sustainable for much longer than that. Uh, to go back to your point regarding extending Ingram, one of the benefits of that would also be, you know, they tried to trade all of these dudes yeah. uh, just a couple of months ago, and there were sore feelings about that. I can't speak to the individuals if Brandon was particularly upset, but the, like, saying we are committing to you, which does not mean that he cannot be traded down the line, of, yeah, course, of course, but saying that we are committing to you, and remember for these young guys, this is their first big time NBA contract. I mean, obviously they make millions as it is, but it's, there's an extra zero at the end of those contracts that compared to their rookie deals that that sends a message. And I think mends some fences a little bit. And back to the question earlier about the moves that they can make to provide stability or glimmer of confidence in them. Those are the type of things that I think, not just from our perspective as fans, but also from the player's perspective. I think that's an important thing to be able to do that and also kind of change this culture of you're either a superstar or you don't mean crap to us. I think that's something that they really need to go out of their way to to fix. Oh, so, uh, two more names. Uh, J.J. Redick, interesting eh, guy. Eh. I like Redick. I do too. And they, Lord knows they could use a shooter and a guy who could come off. And I think there would be mutual interest there as well. I kind of want, maybe this is me being too picky. And of course I did suggest, you know, friggin' Al Horford, right? It, but like to me, Al Horford being an old guy, I like, I think Al Horford really matches LeBron really well as a pick and pop big, sure. as a defender, as a switch everything type of guy in a way. Now, of course, JJ Redick does too, but I think a Horford type is a lot more valuable than a Redick type. But aside from, from Horford, I would like whomever the Lakers pursue to be, not in the same window as the young guys, but not like early 30s right now to where they're, provided it's not a max player, sure. right? Like, I would like them. So that, that's why I'm a little more uh, lukewarm on, on a guy like Redick. Sure. Uh, and two Portland guys I like who are free agents this year is um, Aminu and Seth Curry. Yeah. I like Aminu. I like Aminu as well. And Seth Curry, obviously the Lakers need that shooting. Uh, you know, not a great great defender, but as a... As no, a I think like a bench guard. guy, right? Yeah, no, totally. I could totally go for that. Um, you know, while we're, we've been talking about Ingram, Tyler Abbott asks, if we were to sign another wing this summer, so you're a Kawhi, a Butler, a Middleton type guy, how would Ingram fit into that type of starting lineup? Well, I think he'd fit fine defensively. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, that'd be a monster group right there. Which I think is what's most important. I think that if you have a Lonzo, Ingram, Kawhi, LeBron, Pete Zayas <laughs> starting to line up, you might be able to get by defensively. Yeah. I hear you're pretty good at taking charges. Uh, no, that's Cranjus. Yeah, I'm, that's I'm, right. I'm good, at, I'm good at giving charges. <laughs> sure, uh, sure. That's I right. can, you know, I can pass a bit. We do this game... Uh, 
I, I do this with uh, Aaron Larsoul, who hosts the official Lakers podcast. And this was a running gag. I asked Mike Trudell about this and others like, who is your, like, I have blank's game in blank's body. And uh, I don't know. I've got like Joe Ingles' type of game. I can, you know, don't have much in the way of handles, but I can shoot a bit. I'm a good passer, uh, but I can't defend worth a crap. So I kind of got like Steve Nash type defense. This is already going off of the rails. Let's let's move on. Yes, you could have a very good, you very good defensive lineup with those four dudes and whomever you want in the pit spot. Yeah, I think where it would be interesting with Ingram in terms of offensively is, I think that he would end up having to be a guy who ultimately would have to suppress his offense in that starting group in the hopes that it could circle back to him as being more of a primary creator on bench units. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you know, the good thing is that Kawhi is actually a very good, or he can be a very good three-point shooter. So mm-hmm. you could use Ingram in similar ways to, to what he was used this season when he really started to click with LeBron as, as sort of this off-ball cutter and someone who got secondary creator um opportunities but i think that unless he's unless ingram himself is really going to up his volume and accuracy as a three-point shoe shooter it's sort of a tricky fit but i'd be but honestly look man like maybe long term you look for a better fitting piece offensively but if the Lakers are going to be potentially a top eight or seven or six defensive team. Yes. That needs to be the goal. Like then those are the trade. Then those are the trade to me. I make those trade-offs. I I personally make those trade trade trade-offs because especially with the nature of the playoffs, man, like how the playoffs go, if you can defend your ass off and you've got two or even three guys, you can hand the ball to and say, go make a hard shot. Like you can win an NBA title that way. Yes. Look at what, so I'm not going to compare the Lakers to the Warriors, but what the Warriors are showing in the, through the first two games of the Houston series is that individual shot creations will still matter a great deal. And you see how Kevin Durant has sort of become their bellwether offensively. Um, And then look at their defensive versatility by going to sort of the where Subby, where moving Iguodala to the star starting lineup and, and running Draymond Green at center and and how that type of defensive versatility can be so important, right? And so you then start to lock up defensively and you have individual shot creation offensively and those are formulas that can get you a long way. We we saw actually something similar in game two with like Philly, right? In how they were able to beat the Raptors in in that second game. Yeah. They were able to just like, okay, Jimmy Butler, like go we'll go get us a basket. And at the end of the game, like, okay, Joel Embiid, like go just go get us a basket. You know? Yeah. And that matters. And and, and so would Brandon Ingram be the smoothest fit? No, but defensively, give that to me, and we'll see how we can maybe scheme or stagger lineups or whatever, right? I want more talent, not less, every single time. 
Yeah, it, I, I love the Philly comparison. That's something where they are really, they, when they're at their best, they really overwhelm teams with their size. Now, the Lakers would not have an Embiid, but I would argue that in some ways, LeBron is the analog there, even if it's in a different way, this kind of physically overwhelming type of guy. I, I think the Lakers become like a better version of Philly, right? You've got Lonzo in the Ben Simmons type of role. You've got Kawhi as a better version of Jimmy Butler. LeBron as the physically dominant guy similar to Embiid you need shooting around that right you need to be able to space the floor with the other guys I think that's probably a better playoff team than regular season team but I, I do think that it's a clunky fit in some ways but if if you want to be redundant in a certain area big wings who can get their own shot and defend is a, is a good place to do that. So I, I would actually be uh, really excited to see what that would look like. I mean, that's probably the most scarce, valuable resource in the league. So, And they're very difficult. You can scheme bigs in the playoffs. You can scheme smaller guards in the playoffs. A lot harder to do that with a bigger wing. That's right. So uh, a bunch of people asked this question, so I want to attribute it to anyone. Uh, asking about assistance that we'd like to see the Lakers pursue, whether it's Lou, you know, Monty, or, or Jawan Howard. A uh, couple of guys that I had in mind, uh, Chris Finch. There's more talent, in my opinion, that would be gettable, I believe, for on the defensive end than the offensive end. Uh, Chris Finch is probably the best offensive guy that I think would be available. He's with the New Orleans Pelicans, or at least was last year. He's got some good concepts that he's implemented there over the last couple of years. Uh, I'd love to get, you know, a guy like Messina out of San Antonio, but I think that's probably a over Popovich's dead body type of situation. He was a, an assistant with the Lakers before. That would be great. Uh, but I just don't see that happening on the defensive end. A uh, guy you have available is uh, Igor Kokoskov, the former coach of the Phoenix Suns. He was on the Utah Jazz bench and is considered to be one of the better defensive assistants. Along the same lines, you got Adrian Griffin in Toronto, Dan Burke in Indiana. So those are just a few of the names uh, available. This is not something that I have a you know Rolodex of names of, of guys that are available that I think would be great. Uh, Ime Udoka is another guy in San Antonio that I, I'd like the Lakers to, to check out. But in most cases, a head coach kind of comes with his crew. So this may not be something where it's quite as piecemeal as, hey, I like this guy for offense and I like this guy for defense. The coach is going to be the guy that brings those guys in. What do you think of that sort of rumor that Tyron Lue would sort of impress the Lakers brass and had mentioned that he would want to bring in Tom Thibodeau as his lead assistant, like associate um, head coach type? I actually think Thibodeau as an associate head coach is actually a pretty good role for him. It's the only role probably I would want on a coaching staff in 2019 his defensive concepts, the way the game has changed, he hasn't really adapted. And so when he used to be at the absolute cutting edge of defense in the NBA, he's actually well below average, in my opinion, what he's done as a head coach last couple of seasons in Minnesota before he got let go. And, you know, you don't want him in the head coach role either. So I would like him as the guy who's been through the wars and seen it all and the right-hand man type of guy to a guy like Ty Lue, who, you know, has has good concepts and good relationships with guys. I think personality-wise, they're very different. And of course, the report said that Tibbs wasn't interested. He wants to pursue a head coaching job if it, if that's at all possible. So that, that may not happen anyway, but that is something that I'd actually be okay with him as the associate head coach, which was the role that Brian Shaw has filled the last couple of seasons. How, what do you think about that? 
Yeah, I'd be... I think you're spot on about the evolution of the league and whether he has kept up with it in terms mm-hmm. of schematically. I do think, though, that he is a smart basketball mind, even if... I think... So, I will say this. You said this last week about like sliding that one chair over and how that matters. Yeah. And I think th- that that mattered less for Tibbs, I think, from a schematic standpoint, as maybe it mattered more in terms of was he able to relate to players who did not come up in the same age as the players who he coached in Chicago. And so it's why I'd be wary of him as being the focal point voice. What I want from a guy who is going to be like the associate head coach or or someone who is going to be leaned on heavily from a schematic standpoint is how much of a valuable thought partner they will be for the, for the head coach. And I think that he could serve that role well. He was an assistant coach on a championship team in Boston. He was an assistant coach under Mike Krzyzewski for Team USA. I think he would be a value add, even if I do agree with you about his positioning as the league evolved and where he stands in it now. I think he certainly has more to prove than what would be on the outside or from an outsider's perspective for someone who who actually has had a fair amount of success in the league as a head coach. There's also something to be said for like a basketball lifer. I felt like the Lakers are pretty thin on on basketball guys. And, you know, heck, Kurt Rambis is a basketball lifer, right? And I, I don't want him in the position that he seems to be in. But Thibodeau has been in, in the coaching ranks for nearly three decades now. And I, I'm not going to go, you know, singing his praises because he has had a rough stretch of it. You know, there was a a period of time where he was the assistant that you wanted to hire to be your next head coach about a decade ago. And that's no longer the case. And everything you said that we've said about the, you know, the game kind of catching up to him is, is true. But I do think there's something to be said for a guy who's been in the trenches year after year for that long in an organization like this, perhaps more than other organizations. Like even, even a place like Phoenix could use a guy like that. Like somebody who is a this is what it means to spend 30 years in the NBA. Yeah, and and do it as a grinder. That's what I mean, yeah. Yes. And that, that's kind of what differentiates him from a Kurt Rambis type of guy who's been kind of dabbling in and out of executive roles and, you know, roles that are mostly title rather than a, a ton of responsibility. And, and I mean basketball, day-to-day basketball responsibility. That grind of that... I've been doing this for 30 years, everyday game planning, scouting, and doing all of that. Even if not all of his ideas are modern, and even if it's not Thibodeau, this could be applied to any number of old, grizzled assistant types. Having those types of guys in this type of organization, I think, would be very much helpful. So we got one more question. Thank you to everybody who uh, who asked us questions. And we'll be doing these mailbags, I think, a little more often over the course of this offseason. So we'll try to get to more of these as, as time goes by. Sten Bender asks, our, our guy Sten asks, what is a successful year next year? What would it take on the court to convince you that we were back back, quote unquote? I mean, I would say that you almost have to treat it like this, this season didn't happen. Yeah. And so... 
So <sighs> on some levels, a successful year next season is sort of what we thought a successful year this season would look like. Now, yeah. if they add a top flight free agent, like if they sign Kawhi Leonard or Kevin Durant, which isn't happening, but but I'm just saying like like that level of guy, then I think the expectations go up a rung again. And that idea of LeBron plus other super duper star X, that's a potent formula that probably tells you that anything but a conference finals bid is probably a disappointment. But barring that, and even with that, I might say if the Lakers are on the verge of advancing out of the second round or get to game seven of a second round and look like just a competent, good team that won, I don't know, 49 to 54 games, right? Something like that. And a solid second round team that if things broke their way, they're in the conference finals. And if things go against them a little bit, you're sort of brokenhearted about it, but optimistic about what year three with LeBron looks like. I think that's a success. That's a success. You, you know, but I, I mean, look, man, like we're literally talking 12 months from now. Yeah. We've got, for me, it needs to be, they need to sign a really good player this offseason. And that could extend beyond those top six guys to your Al Horford types. Um, If you get an Al Horford, I think you need to get a second, like, really good player, even if he's an eight to 10 million type of guy with the rest of the money that you have and then spend wisely with your room exception, all of that. But I'm in a similar place where I think they need to get to the second round, which is where we are right now in the playoffs. And on top of that, and and honestly, if this happens, they need to get beyond the second round. One of the young guys needs to make the leap. Even if he's not like an all-star next year, he's a, oh yeah, that guy really took a leap forward this year. And you can see him being able to pick up some of the slack that maybe LeBron loses by being a year older. I, I We need one of those guys to really emerge. Brandon was the guy who shone brightest at the end of his season before he got hurt. So he's probably the number one uh, choice for in candidate to be able to do that. But you also had Lonzo, right? Like doing some really impacting the hell out of the game type of stuff before he got injured. So to me, it's those two guys. One of them needs to be like, oh, he's got it like that type of guy in order for next season, along with the Lakers signing good players. And then if if that happens, you're, I think, in contention for the conference semifinals, especially with if the Warriors are broken up this offseason. The league is wide open next year, and I, I will take my chances in those type of scenarios with LeBron, with a young guy who's taken a leap forward, and then a, a second hopefully max free agent, even if it's a Jimmy Butler rather than a Kawhi Leonard or a couple of very strong players. I, I think you got a good shot then. Yeah, I think that those are all really good points. Like we went a whole pod really without getting too deep in the weeds about Anthony Young players. But the point you make about like sort of the narrative about the young guys being them being talked about like, oh, like how De'Aaron Fox was being talk, talked about early during right. the season. That's a good com- and comparison. Then yes. throughout the year, right? Where it's just like, oh, this guy is sort of next. And if one of the guys is looked at like that, 
then I think the Lakers are going to be on to something regardless because that just sort of opens up the horizons for them both as an on-court product for the team as is and potentially what it could look like by the time mid-February rolls around, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I certainly do, and all of the implications of that. So until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast, and we will catch you guys next time. Just give me a chance to think. It takes <laughs> me a little while to get wound up. I know it does take you a while to think. Rebound of Lottie. Nice rebound. The block. Oh, magic ahead. Go to face. Goes under and scores. What a family motivation. Listen to the crowd. I think that is a cosmetic call, baby. Okay, kid, you're all right in my book. <laughs> will you get these idiots out of here? <laughs>